The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. It's an honor to be here. It truly is. I'll begin by apologizing to you if you were expecting me to preach this morning. Uh, as I mentioned to Mr. Jolovic, sitting up in the front here. As I mentioned, Mr. Jolovic, I wasn't a good preacher when I was here, hence my lengthy career in law enforcement. But my presentation is going to be from the perspective of an alum, and I hope to give you five things through my presentation that you consider as you move through your path. I've noticed that the motto of, of Cairn is uh, a, walking a different path, and I'm a firm believer in paths and your individual paths. I struggled both with the topic for today as well as applicable scripture to support the topic until when I was headed to church one morning, I just happened to glance at the inside cover of my uh, Bible in which my then girlfriend and, uh, well, current wife of almost 40 years, and she's sitting here. She had written, she had written a scripture, uh, a couple scripture verses, and it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it was, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. In May of 2012, I was privileged to give a commencement speech to the graduates of that year, and it was truly an honor to come back. It was my 40th year from graduation. In that speak, I spoke of paths of life that we are all on, you, me, your professors, your parents, everyone on their own individual path. And the question is, and I continue to ask, who's directing yours, and how are you handling that direction? In my commencement speech, I attributed my success, whatever I've enjoyed over my time, because I'm still working and will continue to work as long as I mm. think it's fun and am enjoying mm. it. But one is getting a quality education, both spiritually and intellectually, from this institution where you folks go. Two, being an adult child of an alcoholic, because I've risen well above my abilities. Three, being a second child, because according to Dr. Lehman's birth order book, I try harder. Four, having a life's partner who walks beside me as my best friend, not just follows. And I have a note here because in a few months we're going to Italy together uh, and taking a trip, and I think she plans on speaking to the Pope about uh, uh, requirements of sainthood, uh, having been with me for 40 years. <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, you know, the grace of God who's kept me safe, had a clear path for me, even though I didn't know what that path was going to be. And so there are the five things that I think I owe my whatever success I've enjoyed. But let me take you a moment and tell you briefly of my path. You may find some of the similarities to your early path because you are on the early stages of your path. You only get the Cliff Notes version. I'm told by Dr. Williams that although they don't have a hard copy these days, you get them electronically if anybody's used them. I used them religiously when I was younger, but nonetheless. I was born the second of six children, and from all my substantive years, grew up in Falkroff, Pennsylvania, and became involved in Christian Service Brigade at the Falkroff Union Church, where I later saved and baptized. I attended Sharon Hill High School, it no longer exists, and was a mediocre student at best. After graduation, I began to work at a plant that makes rubber for retreaded tires. Uh, you got to Google it, because you don't know what that is, and it's okay. Two weeks after graduation, my father died, leaving me the oldest of the children in my family. Uh, 
at home to help care for my younger siblings. My pastor's care and compassion for my family is what generally led me to what was then Philadelphia College of Bible, or PCB, now known as Karen. I took two classes at a local community college and a year later began full-time at PCB at 18th and Art Streets in Philadelphia, which is now, I'm told, the Comcast Center, where I was again, coincidentally, a mediocre student at best. I generally commuted for four years. Commuters out there, give a shout out to the computer. There you go. I commuted for four years, but with the exception of sleeping in my friend's bathtub in the Robert Morris Hotel. But during those bathtub stays, we'd often talk about career goals and what we desired and what we wanted to do, and we both found that we wanted to enjoy some career in law enforcement. During the, during the school year, I worked part-time in the city. During the summer, I worked full-time. After graduation, I worked as a salesman for a snack foods company. Not really that law enforcement career path now, is it? But nonetheless, I was reasonably successful. And I believe I was successful because my time at PCB taught me to communicate and build relationships with I did with my customers. About three years later, my brother handed me a job posting from a newspaper for a Bristol Township police officer position, not far from here, probably five miles down the road. Had he not seen it or given it to me, I would have never known about it. But I went and I applied, I went through their process and got hired. I later competed for and was promoted to corporal and then subsequently sergeant. One of the other officers in the police department started going to Westchester and going to their grad program and asked me if I wanted to accompany him. I did, I actually think he wanted me to share the gas, but I still went anyway. Although it was a life's dream, you know, to get into the FBI and he was encouraging me to get into the FBI, I didn't think I could do it because frankly I was a mediocre student back then. I competed for a position and was hired by the FBI. About five years later, I competed for another position at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and was promoted to a supervisory position in the organized crime drug section at FBI headquarters in D.C. For most people, it's about a three-year stay, and we stayed just about three years. <clears throat> I then had to compete for another position out in the field, which I did. I competed for several positions uh, to, to include a position in Cincinnati. I fortunate enough to get that position in Cincinnati. We stayed there for about seven and a half years. Now with three boys in high school, my boss, my SAC, my special agent in charge came to me and said, it's time for you to move up, Dave. And I said, well, you know what? When my boys finish high school, then I will go. Well, bosses change. And my next boss came in and he said, Dave, you need to move up and you need to move on, but it needs to be somewhere else. So again, I competed for positions and Ultimately, I was selected for the position of assistant special agent charge in our Tampa field office. And this required not only a move from Cincinnati to Tampa, but also a change in expertise from criminal work, which I had done in my early career, to national security. After approximately four years, I began to compete for another position, which is arguably the most um, competitive at its level in the FBI, and it's the inspector position. For all you gray hairs, if there are some gray hairs out there in the audience, the FBI stories years ago with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., if you remember, he was Inspector Erskine. So there, at any given time, there are eight inspector positions in the FBI, and it's a very competitive position. I competed six times for the position over a period of time, and then ultimately 
got one of the positions. Two years later, I began to compete for the position of special agent in charge of a field office, and again, competed for several throughout the country and was selected by the director for New Orleans. The special agent in charge position oversees about 450 FBI agents, police officers assigned to the FBI, and then professional support employees. And then I had a responsibility for three judicial districts and the entire state of Louisiana. After about four years, I retired from the FBI. And about two weeks before, someone came to me and said, hey, I have a job for you. It's with the Deepwater Horizon Economic and Property Trust. And that was designed, it was a federal court-supervised settlement to compensate people for losses as a result of the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. To put the role in perspective, the trust to date has paid out a little more than $22 billion. So that was the money coming through that trust at the time, and I was responsible for their anti-fraud efforts. After my role in Deepwater concluded, I moved home to Tampa, and then shortly after arriving, much to my wife's dismay, the CEO who hired me at Deepwater called me and said, are you ready to go back to work? And here I am. And just like you, wondering where my path is leading, where God's leading me next. Frankly, that was the cliff notes, the short version. But hey, here we are, all of us, on a path that God's directing, me, you, all of us. And there are five things that I'd like to talk to you about in the form of guidance, frankly, because either I've experienced them or I've watched people experience them. And one, and I think this is critical, embrace your education at Cairn. This education is special because of its Christ-centered focus and because of the people you will meet. When I speak of your Cairn education, I'm not just speaking of your classroom experience. That's a given. I'll chat more about that aspect later in my last point. Here, though, I'm speaking your overall experience at Cairn, because what you learn and experience will assist you as you navigate your path, because it's your path by God's direction that brought you here and here today. Place is somewhat of a cocoon, a safe place, where you easily get into a comfort zone. It was for me even as a commuter. But what are you doing to get out of your comfort zone? What type of service commitments are you involved in? Do you work off campus? What do you know of your classmates? One of the things I learned here was that relationships are critical. Develop relationships, and I encourage you, develop relationships in and out of school. One of my mantras as the SAC in New Orleans was, <clears throat> organizations don't get along, people do. And I said that, and I repeated it regularly in New Orleans because the public's expectation of me as a public servant is that I have their interest and best interest in mind not the petty arguments between agencies, and I'm gonna tell you there are petty arguments between federal agencies. It's human nature. But think of this overall education, educational experience as being prepared for service, prepared for service along your path, whatever that may be and wherever that may lead. Learn to communicate effectively without a phone or tablet. I know you talk to your BFF every day, and that's great, as far as those relationships go. And those relationships, I think, are critical. But I'm really speaking of broader communication. One of the ancillary things I learned while here was from Dr. John Kaywood, and he was the father of Vice President Scott Kaywood. While at Word of Life one summer, there was a guy who was there presenting. 
and he had with him about 20 tops. Everybody know what a top is, right? A little spherical thing. You put a piece of string around it and you spin it. And he started spinning his tops, and he had them all going at the same time. And while he did, he spoke to us about witnessing opportunities as a result of his tops. And later, in a discussion with Dr. Kaywood, Dr. Kaywood reminded me that you had to win the right to speak to people. And he won the right because he had his tops going, and people were there, and he had a captive audience, and that's the, he won the right that way. But other people, like me, I might have a relationship. I might have something in common, or it may be the way I treat people that wins me that right to speak to somebody. There's a critical need in the business world for people who can speak just as effectively to the maintenance guy and then later on to the CEO. For me in law enforcement, it was a critical skill needed to speak to citizens reporting a crime, to witnesses reporting what they observed, to informants providing information about other criminal activity, or speaking to criminals and convincing them to confess to their deeds. But even more so, there's a critical need and directive for you, for me, to effectively share your faith with others. Three, find a mentor. First in your faith, find someone to confide in, someone to share your relationship with Christ. Find someone who can and will help you grow in your faith. Find someone who will comfort you, encourage you along your path, and lift you up when you stumble. For some of you that may go into the ministry full time, this may be the same person as your professional mentor. Mine are two former youth leaders. One has since passed, but one I continue to speak to today. And he's 77-ish. So I continue to speak to him even today. And second, find a mentor in your profession. You know, I looked over Karen's um, website the other day, and it was interesting to see how many majors and minors there are today. And it's fascinating. You know, accounting and social work and criminal justice and any number of things. But find a mentor in your profession, someone who'll help you maneuver the, through the maze of the nuances of that profession. There may be several of these along your path. Mine were my first supervisor, my first assistant special agent in charge, and then my assistant or my special agent in charge in Cincinnati. They were concerned with my personal and professional growth within the FBI. I must admit some of that growth was painful. I thought I was a good writer before I went into the FBI and found out that I really wasn't because my supervisor would write on my documents, David, please see me. And then this document would be butchered with marks and corrections and things like that. As painful as it was, it made me a better writer. Later in my career, I was content to stay in Cincinnati the rest of my career. It's a great place to raise kids, great place to raise a family. My special agent in charge would come to me regularly and she would say, David, you're a good leader, it's time to move up, time to move on. Ms. Farrar, when my boys finish high school. But during that period of time, I got to watch her. I watched, get to watch her demonstrate leadership skills, leadership abilities, and it taught me as well. And then become a mentor. Become a mentor, start now with maybe a classmate, an underclassman, or a friend, or even a coworker. And I would suggest that you pray about finding someone for that. Number four, patience. Whew, this is a toughie. As you move along your path, remember it's not your time, but God's time. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And in the King James, that word endurance is patience. And even as you pray about something to occur, remember it's not your time, but God's time. Every one of you has a different path. You may think you know where you're going, but be prepared to slow down, speed up, and step off that path. Some of you may think you know your path through life, but don't be upset when your life takes you down a path you did not expect. This may mean that your path may deviate from the four-year degree you're working on now. I entered Karen with the thought of becoming a pastor and left with the desire to be in law enforcement. Consider that God's plan for your path may include the period of time between the, the request and the answer or direction. We're currently studying James in my church, and one sermon spoke to James 1, 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. His plan may include what you learn and experience in the interim and how you handle the trial of waiting. Embrace the unexpected deviations from your path. I shared my comments with a good friend, and he equated God's direction to a GPS and called it God's positioning service. As you leave here today and continue on your path, know that your GPS or God's positioning service is not as definitive as the one in your car. I found that God answers your requests in three ways, yes, no, and not right now. When I first tested with the FBI, my test score wasn't high enough. That was a not right now. I took the test again and passed it, but my combined scores were not enough to get hired. It's a not right now. And I took the test one, one year later, was interviewed by the FBI, and got hired. And then that was my time. Not me, God's time. My time. As I shared my presentation with a friend, he asked a pointed question. How do you know that it was God's direction and not your own persistence? Great question. I truly believe it was God's direction, and here's why. When I arrived at the FBI office for my second interview, I was directed to a fishbowl type of office. Windows all around, you could see out into the rest of the office. And back and forth in front of the office, this lady walked, and she didn't look very happy. And you know what I'm saying? Lord, please don't let this lady be on my interview panel. She, she doesn't look happy. So what happened? Yep, she was on my interview panel. Not was she just was she on it, she was leading it. So we went into an office and began chatting. And while we were waiting for the other panel to arrive, we started talking about my children. And I made a comment that my oldest was attending the Lower Bucks Christian Academy. She said, well, I know an INS agent whose kids go there. And you remember that mediocre student? I have to ask, what's INS? She goes, well, it's Immigration and Nationalization Service. Of course. Well, of course. And so I said, well, I know a guy who works for INS. His name's Al Mentz. She says, well, that's the guy I work with. And from that moment, we started talking about Grace Chapel in Havertown. And she said, well, her mother attends Grace Chapel, and she knows many of the families that I knew. So, yeah, chance? Yeah, I don't think so. God's hand and direction? Absolutely. Five years later, I competed for promotion at FBI headquarters and was selected to the one and only position I applied for. God again saying yes. Fast forward a few years and I'm in FBI headquarters again, 
and there's a job opening in Jacksonville, Florida. And I think my family is still in Tampa, and I think I am uniquely qualified for this position because of my Tampa experience, the relationships I built throughout the state, and I went personally to each member of that career board, that selection committee, telling them how I needed this job. And I got an emphatic no from God when they gave the job to a person who didn't even apply for the position. That's a no, isn't it? But from there, it didn't make sense. But then the opportunity presented itself for New Orleans, and truly it was the best job I could ever imagine. It's always nice to be the boss, but it was a great place, a lot of good work, and it was, as I described it, it was simply a moment in time, but it was the right moment in time. And so there's a path for each of you, you know, but I think you have to, as you go around, be patient with the not right nows, be understanding of the no's, and be humble and thankful for the yeses. But before each move and before each application, my wife and I would pray for God's leading as to, is this the right place to be? Is this the right place to where we're going? And sometimes, frankly, she prayed a lot harder than I did. And I will tell you a story as to why. A few years before Hurricane Katrina, we visited the city. And my wife kind of toured around the city while I was in a class. And as we were on our way to the airport, she said to me, I don't think I ever need to return to this city again. And guess what? Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes not right now. Sometimes LOL. So my last point, though, is, is excel. And I think it's absolutely critical for you to excel. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike my blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The famous football coach Vince Lombardi once said to his team, gentlemen, we will chase perfection and we will chase it relentlessly, knowing all the while we can never attain it. But along the way, we can catch excellence. Like it or not, when you leave Cairn and enter the next phase of your path, work, career, grad school, more will be expected of you. In a recent Cairn alumni newsletter, a young man named Alex Arsenault was featured. He's a police officer for the Lancaster County Regional Police Department. He said, from his experience, integrity is one of the most important qualities of a police officer. I would argue that is the most important quality. The work world, work world say that fast, like five times, the work world is competitive. There are thousands of other universities churning out bright young minds just like you. The distinct advantage that you have is that God is directing your path. But interestingly, each verse I've chosen today is what I call action verses. Although God directs and leads, you are responsible for moving and doing. I had the privilege when I was a special agent in charge of the FBI in New Orleans to attend a class sponsored for, by the FBI for law enforcement executives around the world. One of our speakers was Ari Fleischer, the White House press secretary for George W. Bush. I asked him what the most important thing he did to succeed in his role. 
He responded that he prepared every day, getting up early, and ensuring he captured the events of each day accurately and completely in order to brief the president fully and accurately. This may apply to you now with your studies, the effort you put into them, part-time job you have, full-time job you have, frankly, the effort you apply to anything you do. The advice I gave to my own three boys was to be a sponge, to learn their trade, their job, their role, and become the best at what they do. I encourage them to soak up knowledge like a sponge, sponge soaks up water, for when a problem arises, an assignment comes along, the first name their boss should think of is theirs. Once when I came home to Tampa, my oldest son was studying to be a nurse anesthetist. He was sitting with an open book, an open laptop, and an iPad. When I asked why he had all three open, he responded, Dad, I don't want to just pass a test. I want to know why these drugs do what they do. John Wooden, the famed UCLA basketball coach, distinguished between character and reputation in this way. Character is what and who you are. Reputation is what and who others think you are. Wooden goes on to say that you can fool others, but you can't fool yourself. But because you are special, because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I truly believe your reputation should be an outgrowth of your character. There is no mistaking where you attended college. You attended a Christian university that continues to focus on the scripture as the foundation of your education and life. Employers, leaders, managers, and coworkers and colleagues will watch you more closely. Is he, she, who they say they are? Do you demonstrate integrity? Are you honest? What is your work ethic? Are you on time? How do you treat others? I recently had lunch with a board member of a major southeastern bank. I asked him what traits he looked for in candidates for employment in his own business and the bank. He said, I want to hire people who are honest, ethical, reliable, and committed. That commitment to your job is, reelected, is reflected in that commitment to your faith. Dr. Ralph Eckert was the pastor of Falkroff Union Church for a period of time and the second professor of social work at PCB. He told a story about himself that I will never forget. He spoke of running a race, which was an analogy of his Christian life. He spoke of running a race and not doing well. The next day, there was a news article that named the particip participants of the race in the order of their finish, first, second, third. And then the article went on to say, Ralph Eckert also ran. Dr. Eckert's analogy was the comparison of that race to our Christian life when finally appearing before the Lord, Dr. Eckert asked, what would you rather hear, that you also ran, or well done and good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord? So in conclusion, embrace your education here at Cairn as God has directed you to this place, this moment in time, along your path. Learn to communicate so you can effectively share your faith and excel along your path. Find mentors to confide in who will help you and support you. Learn, develop, and demonstrate patience because it isn't your time, it's God's time. And lastly, pursue excellence in your profession and in your Christian life, remembering the question that Dr. Eckert asked, what would you rather hear, that you also ran, or well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this institution. Thank you for the students who attend this. Lord, hopefully today they heard something worthwhile that they can take and use in their lives. Lord, lead them out into this world 
to be in the world, but not of it. Lord, help them as they move along and give us a good day. Amen. You guys are dismissed.